So Money Episode 1231, Annabelle Gerwich, New York Times bestselling author, activist, and actress, and author of the new book, You're Leaving When? Adventures in Downward Mobility. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Curiosity, I think, is a really important trait for all of us right now because only by exploring the possible next steps, the what ifs that you think might destroy you, will you find out if it will destroy you. And then it's going to be a weeper, but you know, and and the future is still unknown. But I, I, I think if I don't have any tattoos, but if I did, it would say, stay curious. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today, We're going to try to laugh about some hard things. And my guest is the great Annabelle Gerwich. You may know her well. She is a multi-bestselling author, comedian, actress. Her latest book is called You're Leaving When? Adventures in Downward Mobility, a hilarious and deeply honest collection of essays about navigating midlife in our current cultural moment. We discuss everything from job insecurity to losing your health insurance, divorce, suffering through a pandemic, and through it all, how to stay sane, how to stay optimistic, how to keep moving. You may be familiar with Annabelle's tenure on the TV show Dinner and a Movie. I loved watching her during that series. So funny. She is an accomplished actress, contributor to NPR, essayist for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and many other publications. She's also a mom. Here's Annabelle Gerwich. Annabelle Gerwich, thank you so much for joining. It's so nice to have you on the show and connect. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. You know, I love what your mandate and your mission with your work is. And I I love how entertaining you are and smart you are at the same time. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, You're taking the words out of my <laughs> mouth that I want to share with you. This is such a love fest because I, I so appreciate, you know, that you're taking on these, you know, let's just say they're heavy, difficult topics talking about financial insecurity and mm-hmm. particularly as it pertains to women right now, it's it's not fair what's happening um, disproportionately to so many women and women of color. Uh, and yet you have decided to bring this to the forefront with your natural innate humor and it's been nothing but fun and successful. And But most importantly, we are talking now about these hard things in a way that feels safe, you know, um, and, and not as I was hearing you talk about on another interview, like um, embarrassing, right? Because we don't want to talk about the fact that although maybe we project a life of quote unquote success because social media pressures us to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can't, you know, maybe make next month's rent or we can't afford our, our new dryer when it breaks down, which what happened, in, uh, I was reading in your book or uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah, talked yeah. about your, your best friend who's a teacher many years in the public school district with a pension who, you know, was having who was lying, fragility. Her clothes in yes. the backyard. Yes. I mean, this is, this is really interesting to me. And I, I started writing about economics, um, back in, in an earlier book of mine in, um, 
uh, wherever you go, there they are. Because I was writing about my family and upbringing, and we had a lot of uh, chaotic finances in my family. And my mom, it, it really shaped my mom's life and and I was and her unhappiness <laughs> because it was difficult for her as a woman in the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, um, when she was coming into her own as a person. And my mom was so smart and funny and really had so much to offer as a person. And my father's financial debacles really devastated her. She just was always embarrassed and, and it, it, she really suffered because of that. And I mean, there, that represents a lot of things generationally for her in terms of, and we look at, at my mom, uh, you know, in terms of her empowerment or disempowerment as a, as a, as a woman in society, uh, who is also, who is defined by her husband's finances. Um, but also this idea of, uh, something she would say to me, we're never supposed to tell anyone, don't ask if someone asks what your father does or don't, just don't talk about it. And that, I have these memories of growing up, shopping at the like local department store. And these were, I'm going to sound like I'm an ancient person, but it's funny how things change so quickly. But my mom would hand over a credit card or a check I, I don't know, and, and they would dial on the phone to get approval. And I would hold my breath waiting to hear whether whether we could make this charge and, and looking around to see if anyone from my high school was mm-hmm. was going to witness when they inevitably said, I'm sorry, your card's been declined or you don't, the bank isn't approving this check. And so I grew up with that. So now as a, an adult and a writer, and, you know, I, I do chronicle women's lives using, you know, my life as an example. Um, I'm really interested in this subject and really de-stigmatizing thinking about an economics. So what I do in all my books, which are all essays, uh, personal essays, is really use myself as an example and through storytelling of how these issues impact us. So in in um, Wherever You Go, There They Are, there's a story which actually you can read. It's um, up at the Marketplace website. Um, Marketplace has a bunch of my chapters of different books there. I've had an ongoing dialogue with Kai and Molly for many years, which is fantastic. But the, there's a chapter about how... Um, I had been recruited to join a multi-level marketing scheme a, a couple oh of years ago. Yeah, and 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 that essay is about how multi-level marketing uses women's need for family and community in the language of their outreaching. Even it was never the Arbonne company; it's the Arbonne family, but they use that. Uh, to recruit people. And I write about how predatory it is. Yes. So that chapter's up there. But I, so I've always been interested in this topic. And now in your Leaving When, yes. this book starts with having lunch with a friend. And I'm on my recently instituted austerity budget, which was put into place after, so it was a um, bunch of things that happened. Divorce, which is still disproportionately affects women financially, even though 
I was the primary breadwinner, but then dividing, dividing things into two, that's, that's just what's going to happen unless you're, you know, lucky enough to be in the top 1% in this country. Uh, because as we know, there's very little in between 1% and people who feel very, econ- who experience and not just feel economic insecurity. So divorce, I had recently lost the health insurance that uh, came through earning uh, income through my union and gone from healthcare, which costs, you know, the, the, the premium through the union was something like a hundred dollars a month, 150, no, 150 a quarter to a thousand dollars a month. I mean, withstanding that kind of budget change, you know, I was tapping into my savings, trying to hold on to my house, couldn't afford to sell the house. Just so on the austerity budget lunch program, uh, that, what you do on that one is, this is the, my little self-styled uh, austerity budget. You eat before you meet someone for lunch. So you don't have to, you know, pay for meals out because I really wasn't eating in restaurants in that moment. And, and then I get there and my friend's offering to pay for lunch. And I'm like, why did I do that? And then I <laughs> ate her lunch basically because it was so delicious. So now I'm on second lunch. It was just totally, you know, maybe my austerity budget. I thought you were going to say like order the side salad with a, you know, <laughs> well, well, water with a lemon, extra well, I lemon. Did. I did, but then her <laughs> lamb looked so good. We were at this like Middle <laughs> Eastern place. It was so fantastic. And then, you know, we're talking talking and I, I, she's a very successful writer. And then of course that brings up the question, what is success? Well, how do we define success? Is success only, is it measured by financial security or by how many, um, how much you've achieved in the public eye? And she was telling me about how she'd recently gone on Medi-Cal for her family because her job had ended at a university and now she's at, and, and just uh, income had dried up. I mean, it was, she was telling the story of my life and I couldn't believe it because when I look at her social media, that wasn't the message I got. And, mm-hmm. and she also had said, and don't tell anyone, you know, and this, and I thought, oh, this is so many of us. And yes, I am also speaking about women are in this position. And in particular, all the stories in your leaving when this new book take place in it's really a portrait of this generation, which I'm part of the Gen X or Cuspers. We're, we're younger than baby boomers. So we just missed out on that greater financial security that came with jobs with benefits. We have some of that, but for most of us, as we near so-called retirement age, I call it the never retirement generation where we realize we're not going to ever retire because we, at the same time, because of when we were born, because of the way our earnings have gone, um, the majority of us have, uh, if we have children, they are Gen Zs and that generation's just coming into the workforce. So we're still supporting them. So we're really in what people call the sandwich. We, we, we have expenses. Our kids have expenses. Many of us are caregiving. I did that too. And when I was caregiving for my parents before they passed, I turned down work. We don't subsidize that in a meaningful way in this country. I wasn't able to work. So, you know, we're that's what they call the sandwich, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so these stories, I, as I sometimes say, 
If you've ever tried to fix your own dryer to save money uh, and then only made it worse and spend it twice as much, uh, you will relate to this book. And it's funny. I mean, it's a second story of like a dryer, but household appliances are really big ticket items. And a big win for me in the pandemic was fixing my own garbage disposal. And the same day I negotiated a legal bill. I made no money that week, but I felt very much like I was winning because I was somehow curbing a lot of expenses that were just thrown on my lap. You have a Gen Zer yourself. You are the mother of a Gen Zer. And so I want to, in a minute, talk about Mm -hmm. your perspectives on the current generation and are you hopeful? but, But going back to your own life and in the beginning, arriving in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. bright-eyed, talented, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to pursue what a lot of people do in LA at that age, which is, you know, a, a career in entertainment. What were your expectations of yourself at this age? And what is the advice you would, would have liked to have given yourself to prepare you if there even is any advice to prepare? Well, you know, interesting that you, you asked for this history because it mirrors the same thing in a lot of industries. So when I came to LA, first of all, I came after also having worked for a number of years in, in, as an actress in New York. So I came with a, a, a good setup. You know, at the same time, I'm a really practical person, having grown up with financial insecurity, even though I had worked for years uh, on a soap opera in New York, and then I was starting to work in nighttime television because I didn't have ongoing employment. And I came out to Los Angeles right when there was a strike. I got a job working as a hostess in a nightclub. I wanted to make sure money was coming in. I've always been really practical, and I've always been a saver. My, my friends call me the squirrel. So I was, from the beginning, to have a career as an actress, which is what I did for many years, um, I was always trying to be very practical about that. And in fact, you know, I've I've made a lot of money as an actress. Over the years, I worked steadily for 30 years. And I earned medical benefits and pension benefits. And I am you know, actually so lucky for that now. Now, the interesting thing, and and so, and also what I did was I never, um, you know, I bought a house uh, 24 years ago when I was pregnant with my child and I never bought a more expensive house. You know, I never felt the need to drive a car that was a status symbol. I, there's a chapter in the book called The Blank That Will Change Everything about how women are targeted in marketing, that we're, that there's a, a bag, a brow, a bra, uh, I like to call it a bathcation, um, that is the Calgon take me away generation that's going to change everything. I've never been that person. I don't want to carry a status symbol handbag. I just, if, if, if I was going to spend $6,000 on a bag, it would have to have $6,000 in it. You know, I mean, and actually I feel like I have to get more out of it. Anyway, anyway, that's, so that's not me. I've always been a saver and that was good advice. In fact, I think financially I've, I've made many good choices because um, I squirreled money away so that there were times when I wasn't working uh, that I was able to 
sustain a um, quality of life and also um, choose the projects I was working on. So I, I really did make, and I also took a number of jobs that weren't the most interesting jobs for me uh, as an artist, but that were remunerative. So I made a lot of good choices. Then things that have happened in the entertainment industry, and I, I don't write about this in my book because I just don't like to focus on that. I mean, primarily I'm a, I'm a woman, I'm a mother, and then, you know, I'm a, a worker in the entertainment industry. However, there was, when I entered the industry, a very stable way to make a living, even if you didn't become a movie star. You know, I did this TV series dinner in a movie for many years. I did supporting roles in television and in films for many years. You could earn a good living doing that. But what's happened in the last 10 years mirrors the same thing in the entertainment industry has happened across America. The wage gap has grown. So the very top 1% of movie star, TV star has seen their wages rise. The middle has completely fallen out. So that affects the advice I would give someone now pursuing a career in the arts, which is that I don't know that it's sustainable uh, to... It's certainly not sustainable to earn the kind of living I earned, which was at sometimes, you know, in maybe mid six figures, um, uh, doing as, a, as an actor. You know, you have to really hit the jackpot now. And even as a writer, because now we've seen um, uh, the, the publishing business has also concentrated to top percent and and then nothing, and then the bottom. And I'm, I'm, I'm a mid-lister. You know, I've sold a lot of books. I've been a New York Times bestseller, but I'm not, a, I'm not Harlan Coben. And, uh, and and there's really a big difference between the advances someone like that gets and what I get. And so it is a really difficult thing to counsel young people now. And as a matter of fact, there's a lot of thinking going on about that. You know, David Geffen just endowed the Yale School of Drama graduate program so that that program will now be free. Because in the last few years, it's been really controversial for us that, that, that how can we ask people to pay these right. fees for graduate school in a career as an actor, which you're not going to make enough money in to make it because not everyone graduating is going to become Meryl Streep. So, you know, that's one school, though. You know, David Geffen mm -hmm. is apparently not going to solve all of our problems, just like Jeff Bezos' trip to space isn't, uh, you know, it, he, he's not giving that same amount of money to the Amazon workers as he invested in right. blasting off. Into I was having a debate with about that with my husband yes. the other night. I was like, you know, there is so much hate around this rocket launch right. and right. And I don't want to feed into it, but it's such, it's just so easy, you know, and yes. especially when he gave his speech before, before takeoff, where it was like, I want to thank every single Amazon investor mm -hmm. and employee because you paid for this. And I was like, that's what he wants to say. That is the thing that he wants everyone to know and recognize. It's like, and it, it was a reminder to me, it's like, people will tell you who they are. Just listen. It's, it's so true. And you know, the, the thing is, 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 um, what I challenged my, and, and this speaks to that. So, I mean, I, I know it's just so easy to pile on to the Jeff right. Bezos thing, but the, 
Bezos thing. But here's the thing. So when I wrote these stories in Your Leaving When, the idea was to challenge myself, could I write about a life where I am now facing economic insecurity? And I, I want to be clear, this is really about the interruption of the American dream of the middle class or what used to be the upper middle class of you work, you work, you work, and things get a little bit easier. Now it's more like you work, you work, you work, and then you wonder, can I keep working? How, how will I keep doing this? Because of the wage gaps and uh, and housing costs and the way that the the workforce has changed and and the kinds of uh, issues that we are facing being in our sam- in the sandwich generation but the question was could i write stories that reflected life that weren't just a weeper. So I just, that's what I it's call- adventures in downward it's mobility. A, it's, now, it's not- <laughs> Yes. Now, when I chose the word adventures, I was a little concerned. I called my friend and mentor, Barbara Ehrenreich, who wrote Nickels and Dime. And I said, Barbara, do you think it's going to sound tone deaf? I don't want to any way make people think like, I think downward mobility is a- is a carnival is it's a roller but it, what it is it is a roller coaster and it is it is so it's a tongue-in-cheek word and i really labored over that and i just want to say if you're listening i i i hope you'll hear this satire in the word adventures because i I, I I didn't mean in any way to say, hey, downward mobility is fun. But what I, I do want to reflect upon in this book is how we adapt to new normals. Now, I had no way of knowing what COVID was ahead. I wrote this book, except for the last chapter, right before COVID. I was editing this during the start of the pandemic. And of course, adapting to a new normal has been what we've all been doing since uh, since COVID-19 began to ravage the, the globe. Um, and also people, people found themselves newly downwardly mobile. I had no idea, of course, this was coming, but this is one of those things that actually uh, Jung, the um, psychologist, say, I don't want to get his degree wrong, but uh, Jung uh, had a phrase he used called volitional acceptance of the obligatory. What do you do when there is no escaping your reality and you have to, you're pushed, so the volitional acceptance of the obligatory, you're pushed beyond your comfort zone into something. So we are all in some sense a new normal and the rejiggering of what is the American dream? What are our expectations of the future? Um, one of these are the subjects of this book. And in fact, adapting, there have been certain aspects of adapting to my new normal that have been tremendous empathy builders and also changed my life in ways I couldn't have imagined. So for instance, a number of the chapters deal with home sharing. Now, home mm-hmm. sharing is an old world value that might mean sharing with different generations in your family or opening up your home. Like I say, like I'm a landlady with borders, which <laughs> I do. I do. I rent out a bedroom in my house. I thought, oh my God, have I hit rock bottom here? I'm in my fifties and I had this imagination. I'm going to be like wearing a house dress soon with a cigarette and a bread and apron and like making up gruel for breakfast. Well, 
I have found that as an empty nester, now my, my child is my adult child's back at home, like so many people, um, but they're in their bedroom and we have actually new boarders coming in soon, students who are studying nearby. I love it. It, it has allowed me to um, give some young people a bridge, uh, a housing, and, um, and it adds life and joy to my house, sure. Some things have broken and there have been some odd moments. And I had one tenant who was just not going to work. And that's, I think, a pretty hilarious story about how it killed my love of all things French in the book. But I just said my own story is hilarious. But what was hilarious is that I had an idea of who the French were that was quickly dispelled. The hilarity is how wrong I was about everything. But I also participated in a bridge housing program where I took in unhoused youth in the community. And that changed my whole view of not only my own downward mobility, but who is unhoused in America. So all of this adaptation that I have done um, has led to some pretty unlikely stories. I would say a reassessment of values. Sure, I would like to torch every Nancy Myers movie that I ever saw where a middle-aged woman ends up in a, in a shingled house by the ocean and say, whose life is that? You know, um, But I, I do think there are many opportunities to be had and certainly a lot of, of humor. Well, as I'm listening to you, it, it reminds me of what I have come to really appreciate as a superpower of the Gen X generation, mm -hmm. um, which is that, you know, we were, and I am on the cusp, um, and you're, you, you identify more as on the latter end of Gen X, but nevertheless, it's a generation mm -hmm. that was pre-technology, yes. analog. Yes. And in your particular field with all the jobs and all the hustle, mm -hmm. I wonder how that has actually benefited you at this stage in your life where, you know, you're not just going to let life happen to you. You're figuring things out on the go. You decided to become um, a home sharer, right? That's one example. And I wonder if you have any, if you've had any conscious thoughts about that. Yeah, well, you know, it's that funny. is more of a, uh, I'm looking, I'm trying to be optimistic here. You know, well, I, I think that's a really exemplary trend. Well, you know, um, the thing is, I think the one thing about Gen X uh, that we've seen some redemption of is Gen X always had low expectations. <laughs> we were like the, the, the middle kid. Hey, right. what about us? We were the ones who had to sit in that middle car seat, like in the middle where you don't have room for your yeah. legs, like trying to fit in. <laughs> we're very scrappy people. Of course, at a certain age, this is the thing we didn't anticipate. You get a little tired of being so scrappy, but um, we're very scrappy and we did have lower expectations and that is really helpful. But I think this, I mean, look, I'm a, one of those career reinventors, of course, of how many reinventions. I, I, I also think that women get into put into what I call resilience prison. Like you can do it, reinvent it. Oh, God, no, like nobody wants to hear that at a certain point. But, you know, there's also just real realities. Like I have a story in the book about, uh, you just can't make this up. I accidentally booked a seat 
which is called an empty leg seat on a semi-private right. jet. Uh, yes, it's called empty leg seat. I'd never heard of it. Is that where they just make you stand during yeah, the entire? Well, <laughs> I was sure when it said that, because I got it on kayak, and I was sure it meant I was going to be carrying like a kidney in a cooler, right? Like a medical <laughs> transport plane. But no, it was an empty seat that it was on a private jet. And they just figure, well, we'll sell an extra seat. Uh, this So I did that. And then I, the next day I had to fly home on Spirit Airlines, the airlines of the Enough people. Said. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I did learn something really fantastic about that. And you know how there's that saying, better to have loved and lost than never loved at all. Better to have never flown on a private jet. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you don't want to know what it's like to live there. But the truth is, those are really bad for the environment. So, you know, there's there's really not a good reason why we're flying like that. It's a, it, the impact on the environment per person, the car, carbon doesn't make sense. So, you know, in some ways, we Gen Xers, we're, I think we're able to accept practicality better, being those middle kids who didn't get new clothes or we got the hand-me-downs. I, I, God, I'm making this sound like we're like Oliver Twist, but, <laughs> but which is a whole other kind of story. But I, We are I, not strangers to adversity. Let's just put not. it that way. And, and so we- And discomfort and, right. you know, getting uncomfortable. But you asked me about Gen Z and I- Yes. I- I am. I love Gen Z. I have to say, my kid has opened my eyes to the many fantastic qualities of Gen Z. Gen Z has really no illusions about the world they've been born into in terms of how they will have to change and adapt. So a really interesting part of what I see in the Gen Z's generation, and there are things that I just, I'm not a, a fan of. I just think the over-reliance on social media destroys personal skills. There's, there's sure, I could complain about that. But you know, like they're, they really, where I used to want to go to like a vintage store for fun, they really believe in that message you know, mm -hmm. and there I see a tremendous amount of empathy, of communal sharing and ideology that I think is really going to help our society. Mm -hmm. um, and their values, at least certain, I mean, can't make a monolith, but I really see a lot of hope for Gen Z. And I think that they're going to transform our country and our world in really positive ways. They don't want to accept the way things are. And so they want a more um, equitable world. And yes, that's going to mean that the top 1% will maybe not have quite as much, but I think they will want a more stable general population. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. And I, and I, and I love that value. And um, I am really uh, positive. If we can not destroy the planet through climate change, they're going to have a great future. <laughs> Yay. There's that one thing, right. But if we can overcome yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thinning of the ozone layer, we should be okay. Yeah. Annabelle, how do you stay optimistic? How do you find the humor in the devastation? Uh, I know that to some extent, this is like a, you know, a flexed muscle of yours for, through, you know, many decades. This is your profession, but you are, I think at the core, 
I can I say I've met you for now it's been 29 minutes. I think you yeah. are a pretty positive person. I guess my point in asking this is like, yeah. what is your advice for us so that for anyone listening who might be going through their own hardship to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel or just to be able to yeah. exist in that moment without feeling so devastated? Well, I think, you know, it also depends on your higher, if you're meeting your hierarchy of needs, if you are a housed person who has food, even if it's maybe not as glamorous a menu as you would like, you're able to have humor. I think it's very difficult to have humor if you aren't having your basic needs met. That said, um, I launched this podcast during COVID that's called Tiny Victories. And that really exemplifies what I feel is my, if anything, and, and, and really I only came through this through desperation because of like a really low moment of feeling so overwhelmed by so much suffering through COVID and just on so many different levels, the idea that we cultivate an appreciation of small mercies. And that's what the podcast is about. And my partner in that is a comedian and meditation teacher. And she said to me that her like uh, New Year's resolution was stay curious. And when she said that to me, I thought, okay, I no, no, I'm stealing that from you. <laughs> I said because <laughs> I I love the idea that at I'm turning sixty this year, which is a little bit of a shocker. It's a big number. Um, you know, if I can stay curious about what my situation means or how it's going to feel or what kind of new adventure I am on, I will have a much better chance at having the kind of um, sense of humor that, and really it's just my, the way I, I, my outlook on, on, on life of just, I always look at these very skewed things and it does look like a very kind of dark humor to me, but I can only do that if I, if I have a curiosity, if I've already decided this is going to be terrible, which is my first inclination, let me just say, but then the next thing is stay curious. Um, Curiosity, I think, is a really important uh, trait for all of us right now because only by exploring the the the, the possible the next steps, the what ifs that you think might destroy you, will you find out if it will destroy you? And then maybe it's going to be a weeper, but you know, and and the future is still unknown. But I I, I think that that is. Uh, those are, if I don't have any tattoos, but if I did, it would say, stay curious. Yes. Annabelle, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Everybody check out, you're leaving when? Adventures in Downward Mobility. I love the way you said the title. Thank you. <laughs> Anytime. Thanks so much to Annabelle Gerwich for joining us. Her book, again, is called, You're Leaving When? And you can check out more of her work as well as her books, her podcast, and when you might be able to meet her next at AnnabelleGerwich.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you back here on Wednesday. I hope your day is so money. Money.